Welcome to the Africa Tech Summit podcast, sharing insights from across the African tech scene. Today's episode was recorded live at the Africa Money and DeFi Summit in Ghana. Stay tuned for great insights and also a discount code to join us at the Africa Tech Summit in Nairobi. Welcome. I've really been looking forward to this. My name is Francis Tay, as you already know. I'm an investment manager with Founders Factory Africa, based in Joburg, early stage investment company. Um, but today is not about investments. We already had a good session uh, prior to this. To my left, we have an amazing panel. Um, I'll let them introduce themselves, but they are very well seasoned in the digital financial services space. So yeah, I'll give them a minute to introduce themselves, um, introduce their companies, and delve a little bit deep into um, wh what they do. So Mumbi, I'll start with you. Sure. Uh, it's a benefit of sitting next to Francis. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Pleasure to be here. Uh, my name is Mumbi. I'm the general manager at Tala. So for those who don't know, Tala is uh, the market pioneer in digital credit, uh, not just in Kenya, where I'm based, but uh, actually globally. So uh, our big uh, innovation or how we think of our values is democratizing access to credit, and especially for people who've been left out of the formal financial ecosystem. So uh, we've been in existence for a little over 10 years now, so I, I don't know if we can refer to ourselves as a fintech anymore. But uh, essentially, we are evolving as a business to become a full-service financial uh, provider. So uh, last thing I'll say is so far we've served about 8 million customers globally, uh, because we have operations in Philippines, Mexico, and India as well, and disbursed a little over $3 billion uh, to date. Thank you. Hi. Good morning, everybody. My name is Adamo Usi. Most of you who have seen me here will probably know me from my premium capacity where I am. I was at Visa. I've recently joined MTN six months in, and I'm the general manager of FinTech Business Development and Expansion for MTN Group, but I'm based here in Accra. I think most of you know MTN. Um, it's Africa's largest mobile network operator. It operates out of 19 markets, both here in on the continent and also in the Middle East, providing a variety of services, including voice, data, fintech, digital, API, etc. And MTN has a stated vision, which is really around making sure that Africa is connected, and I'm trying to do my small bit in terms of trying to be able to do that. MTN has this ambition 2025, and in there, there are five different verticals all looking to become a unicorn, and my role is to assist the various verticals um, to be able to achieve that. You know, some may not be able to achieve it organically. It may have to be inorganic through fintech partnerships, JVs, etc., and that is where I come in, and I'm excited to be part of this conversation. Thank you. My name is Kwame Edwasre. I'm the head of digital innovation with Fidelity Bank Ghana. Fidelity Bank is one of the leading privately owned banks in Ghana, which started operations in 1998 as a discount house. Fidelity acquired a universal license in 2006 and currently serves over 2 million customers across 75 branches in Ghana. We are one of the leading pioneers in the agency banking with over 5,000 agents across Ghana. We also won the Asia Bank Award in 2022 for the best bank in West Africa. And we are committed to innovative financial solutions to serve our customers and to serve real problems that our customers face. Thank you. 
Hello, everyone. My name is Farah. I am the founder and CEO of Okra. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, Okra is a open finance API infrastructure. Uh, essentially, we're building um, the access for businesses to have access to financial data and process payments. Uh, we started in 2020, and since then, we've been on a mission to connect a billion Africans to the global economy. Uh, and we really feel like you know what we're building is intrinsically tied uh, to that mission. Hi, everyone. My name is Leona Lillian Aban. I'm the general manager for Tiraco. Tiraco is a beautiful and bright central and southern African bird which sees impending danger and warns other animals of the presence of predators. Our business, Tiraco in Ghana, is a leading insurtech which provides simple and affordable life and health insurance solutions to low-income people. Our mission is to free people from the financial shocks that they may go through, so we're necessarily a safety net, and we necessarily distribute through banks, MFIs, um, aggregator platforms, fintechs, and anywhere that we have a mass of customers we are happy to partner with. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Great, great, great. I like the diversity here. Okay, so we'll kick things off with the discussion. Just to set the tone, we know the financial services industry has come a long way. Um, there has been tremendous gains in digitization, underlying infrastructure, payments, products, business models, you, you name it. But I'd love to get your thoughts on the current trends really transforming the accessibility, delivery, and adoption of financial services to individual customers, but not only to them, to SMEs and large organizations. So yeah, I'm opening it up to the, to the panel. Anyone can, can take a stab. Sure, uh, I can get us started. Um, so uh, whenever I hear a question around trends, uh, you know, being in a tech event, we always default to talking about the tech. Uh, but for me, I, and one of the principles in Tala is always staying grounded in the customer. So how I like to think about the industry and how it's evolved is in two phases. So um, I'd say we had like a phase one, which is the last decade, and that was the advent of um, credit and the advent of, you know, true penetration in, in flow of money with Momo and, and mobile money and all these different um, innovations. But essentially what I was doing was just opening up access because there was a big challenge in, in flow of financing and, and access to credit. However, when I look at a market like Kenya today, I like to give an example of these 300 plus digital lenders in the, in the Play Store market in Kenya. I can imagine in a market like Nigeria or Ghana, it, it's a lot worse. So if you start to think about has the problem of access been truly solved for, I'd say to some essence, yes. So what starts to remain to be the opportunity and is how I think about the next 10 years. Because if you think about financial services today, it's extremely expensive. I know a lot of people are big fans of uh, products such as M-Pesa and, and all other forms of mobile money, but it's really expensive for a normal consumer. So it starts to become a question of the next trend becomes how do we start to solve for the cost uh, of flow of money? And a personal principle I have is, is payments is already a risk to zero. So how do we start to work towards that eventuality? Then the second thing becomes um, just how flexible products are. Uh, a lot of, as we've seen, customers have options. So how are you thinking about making your product truly, truly flexible and, and extremely easy to use? And essentially, you're solving for customer needs. Then the last thing I'll mention that is always going to, and I know we'll be talking quite a bit about it today, is partnerships. And then I know we have quite a number of, uh, I think we have one bank here, so we're very keen to hear if, if that trend is true in this side of, of the continent. But for us, partnerships has been very key. 
we're seeing a lot of banks thinking of themselves very differently, where they're no longer consumer fast. And essentially, they're thinking about it as, I have the core infrastructure, I have the regulatory power, how can I lend out the services that I have to power fintechs who have the ability to build uh, more consumer-facing products? So quite a bit of pieces there, but, but when I think about the trends and what will be true on the continent moving into the next decade, it's number one, building further for customers beyond access and into flexibility. And then number two is what is the role of traditional financial institutions, which becomes to support uh, the fintechs. I guess it makes sense for me to follow. Yes. I want to look at this a little bit differently, Francis. I think, and I, you know, there were people that were here yesterday and also this morning in the conversation around the dynamics of the continent, you know, very high um, youth, you know, so um, a very young population, 70% of the people are under the age of 30 years old, very high mobile penetration rates, I mean, goes without saying, but also very high levels of financial exclusion, right? And so it's a case of well, how do you tap into all of that and be able to create solutions that are relevant? And I think that what's going to happen is that a lot of fintechs, a lot of entities that are playing within the financial services spaces are really trying to understand the needs of their customers. I, mean, I read an article the other day, uh, I think it was a Harvard, Harvard Business Review, and what they were saying is that even though on the continent, we don't raise as much money as, you know, America, Canada, etc. What we do do well is the fact that our businesses are more sustainable. So in the Americas, they're all focused around what is the excellent pitch that's going to make sure that I get the, um, raise a high level, a large amount of money, and at the right high valuation. But those businesses are unsustainable, right? Because it's all about the pitch. And I think what we have managed to do well on this continent is be able to develop solutions that are relevant for our folks. Um, and so what I see happening going forward is that fintechs and um, other entities are going to play a bigger role in terms of really trying to understand what is going on with their customers so that they can have specific solutions for the rural farmer, for the rural woman um, uh, who is out in the sticks and be able to deliver solutions that are really, really tailored for them. So that is definitely one thing that I see. I, I agree as well with my fellow panelists that it's all about partnerships and collaborations. You know, nothing can happen without the other. Um, I think about, you know, Fidelity Bank, for example, and how one can work with an MNO, a bank, and a fintech to be able to deliver solutions, right? We have the highest number of SMEs on the continent, 70% of the um, of businesses on the continent are SMEs. How do we solve for them? And most of them can't get access to finance because they're not registered properly. They don't have the right papers. So how do we solve for them so we're able to get seamless solutions to enable SMEs? You know, so I think for me, if I can just summarize, it's really around understanding the pain points delivering solutions that are um, able to solve for that, and also just around around partnerships and bringing the ecosystem together. Thanks. Any other thoughts? Okay. I do have thoughts, uh, not to kind of beat the dead horse in the room when we talk about collaboration, but I want to kind of double-click a little bit more into that. I think that 
one of the things when it comes to delivery of financial services as we grow uh, in the industry is going to be around cross-border collaboration, especially as well. I think that uh, anybody that's in this room that's building today knows that, you know, sometimes you're building your current market and your current infrastructure, but uh, one of the things that's going to take us, uh, I think, as a continent uh, is going to be uh, growth and expansion and how we essentially connect to the global economy as a as a whole. And I think that looking at things like cross-border collaboration and how do we make that easier, uh, how do we make that uh, more seamless. Um, and then uh, another thing that has been kind of spoken on the panel as well is around looking at the consumer and what the consumer needs as we grow. I think uh, businesses are finding out today that the way to acquire new consumers generally uh, is not necessarily to open new branches. It's to understand how to provide more value-added services to your consumers. Uh, and I think that as we grow, we're going to see more data-driven decisions, more uh, analytics-driven decisions. And so um, it goes more beyond just even looking at what you're building today, but then how, you know, how am I building directly uh, for my end user as well. So just kind of adding that uh, to the mix a little bit as well. The GSMA 2023 report that came out in April states that while it took 17 years to see 800 million accounts come on on mobile money, um, it's only taken five years to see the next 800 million accounts. That's a whooping 1.6 million, and it's truly remarkable. Now, the key contributor to this feat is actually because of regulatory environmental changes. Um, in Nigeria, for example, it's been clear that new licenses have opened up to new mobile money players, and with that came 41% increase in registered licensed agents. Well, not only is this creating, you know, increase in employment for people within Africa, but it's also really opening up for mobile transactions to be even more fluid, and, and I think that's great for Africa. Now, the way that Tiraco has taken advantage of this is that we quite label our insurance, but we, we send them or we deliver them through these digital transactions through these companies that are enabling all of these um, innovations. And that truly creates a simple customer journey for the users, you know, non, I mean, uh, low income users, informal sector market people do not understand sophistication and mobile phone usage, mobile money is really being used on the continent. And so that has really enabled us to really deliver through that channel. Again, um, we're using AI, you know, and AI sort of lends itself to um, high scale. So we use AI as well to just manage the policies, pay claims, fraud detection, so that we can release our resources to, you know, higher end value creation for customers and all of that. And I think that that is creating a lot of delightful customer journey for the users who are not sophisticated and who would naturally not come up front to buy a digital financial service, however that may be presented to them. Okay. I think that's remarkable. Uh, yeah, uh, you raised a good point. And to top it up, um, I think we cannot talk about um, innovations in the mm -hmm. digital financial services without also looking at the technological innovations that is enabling these, right? So from a traditional bank perspective, where we have um, observed the evolution of um, fintechs over the period, um, what you realize is that when fintechs uh, started coming up, the initial business model was to unbundle various financial services, right? So you have a typical fintech taking one aspect of financial services, see payments, and then coming up with a mobile payment app, for example, or take up wealth management and come up with a wealth management app. What we've seen over the period is that 
we are going back to rebundling these financial services again, which is leading to what we call embedded finance. So you see what we call the likes of super apps, which are apps that are not traditionally financial services app, but integrate financial services to them. I think um, one of the best showcases Grab in Singapore, and recently, of course, MTN is um, launching Ayoba, which is also trying to integrate financial services to an on financial services um, platform. And of course, I mean, locally, we've seen a couple of fintechs coming up with various super apps which embed financial services in them. I think another key area is the area of blockchain, which is also picking up in this part of the world. Um, every, when we talk of blockchain, everybody thinks about cryptocurrency, right? Um, we've seen um, various companies or fintechs trying to leverage blockchain for facilitating trade across countries. We've seen it being adopted in um, remittances. And of course, I mean, recently, we've all heard of uh, the central bank digital currency, um, where even Bank of Ghana piloted the e-currency last year, and Fidelity was um, part of the pilot banks. We've also seen it being adopted across the region in uh, Nigeria, talking about the e-Naira, and um, China, talking about the digital yuan. And of course, I mean, we cannot uh, leave AI out. AI used to be something very complex just a couple of years ago. So we all heard of chat GPT. And all of a sudden, AI is everywhere. But banks have been using AI to personalize services. Fintechs have been using AI to personalize services, to make product recommendations to customers. And these are all ways and means within which we are making access to finance easily accessible by adopting new trends in technology. Thanks, thanks. I think uh, maybe just to latch on, on that point, and I'll, I'll touch on traditional banks. So like Fidelity, super innovative bank, but also given the, the pace, agility, and sheer number of fintechs within the space, offering similar things. And you also mentioned like embedded finance, you know, the other new banks, et cetera, within the space. What edge do innovative traditional organization or banks um, banks, insurance, etc., have to compete or partner for growth in this space? I, I think the simple answer to this question is partnership and collaboration, which everybody talks about these days, right? Um, from Fidelity's perspective, our board and executive management realize that you either innovate or you die in this world today, right? And we also realize that banks, by virtue of the way we operate, are not as agile as the fintechs, right? Now, I mean, in the early days, there were predictions about banks will die in a few years and whatnot. But of course, we've come to realize that banks are here to stay. Fintechs are here to stay. Banks have the capital, the customer base, and the trust from customers. Fintechs have the agility and the innovative products. So we come together, combine our strengths, and come up with products that better serve our customers. So, for example, in Fidelity, we have a partnership or strategic partnership with the telcos, Casey Point, MTN, where we launched a savings product called YellowSave on the mobile money platform. This is a typical example of traditional bank partnering with a fintech, or uh, I mean, MTN is uh, MTN mobile money will be considered a fintech in this context. <laughs> so, this is a, an example of a traditional bank partnering with fintech to launch products for the betterment of everybody. So in a nutshell, 
all we do is collaborate now. Yeah, so I see more cohabitation in this case. Um, Leon, I wanted to come to you and Farah. Um, given all we've spoken about, um, what is your assessment of the current pace of innovation um, in the digital financial space within markets, key markets in Africa, also really compared to other developed, developed markets um, beyond Africa? Hello. Okay. Uh, so I, I definitely have an opinion of this. I think that I don't think that anybody in this room would say that building on this continent is easy, right? So I think that we can all start with that baseline uh, understanding. But I think that when you kind of look at it juxtaposed against uh, more developed worlds, um, there are things that we ha actually have uh, done better and things that we've had to move faster on. Uh, I think it's kind of adaption out of necessity. Uh, so when you don't have the necessary rails or you're building the infrastructure yourself, sometimes you have to be agile and you have to see that. Uh, and so I kind of look at uh, the fact that we kind of leapfrogged um, over Web 2.0, for instance. We leapfrogged. We, had we went directly to mobile. You look at Kenya, for instance, and Pesa is a household name, even before more traditional banking infrastructure. Um, I think that... With that, with the developed world, we've had to more so build for the necessity of the consumers that we have today. Uh, if you look at something as uh, recent as COVID, the number one conversation in every boardroom became about digital transformation. How can we serve our customers uh, digitally? Uh, so I think that that's the kind of thing that we're going to be seeing. Um, that's what, it, you know, when it comes to looking at the developed world and looking at us. But I think that the kind of things that have to kind of align uh, for us to kind of see more of that is going to be things around like more startups. Like with Okra, for instance, I always say that I think that uh, the biggest companies that we're going to be serving five years from now don't exist today. Uh, so we're going to see more startups building. Uh, we're going to see all these things. So I think that uh, when you kind of see where our trends have been uh, against the developed world. I think that we've had to build more out of uh, that shared necessity, out of the infrastructure that doesn't exist today. And um, and as we grow, I think that we're going to see more catching up. But in in more of the um, the fourth industrial revolution, so to speak. So uh, more in the blockchain eras, the uh, more in the uh, the fintech eras as well. For Turaco, I'll speak more about what we've seen in our business, and we're littered across um, Kenya, Uganda, Nigeria, and Ghana. Um, we're seeing more innovation in our back office than where it takes deep changes in customer behavior, and even where our work intersects with regulation. It's really more in the back office that we're seeing a lot, and um, some of the changes that we're seeing are necessarily hinged on a AI and what it can do. Um, you know, just processing one million claims or one million um, you know, policies in a minute or two is really enabled by technology. And that's really where we're seeing that we're able to create a good customer and user experience for the, the customers that we serve. Again, the use of API in KYC sharing, you know, makes it easier for customers to quickly latch on, hook on, onboard, and, and jump onto uh, our services. I'll, I'll speak to also um, the type of customers that we serve. 80% of our customers are really first-time users. And what that means is that they're still really um, hooked to human interaction. So it takes for us to also come down to that level to ensure that we're serving them in that way. If that means that we're speaking to them through call centers, if that means that we're speaking to them through um, that one you know, QA customer who just wants to run through the mind of the, that customer to understand whether or not they, they got the product that they bought, then that's something that we'll do. Again, regulation. 
And I'll say that um, insurance is highly regulated, and what that means is that there are a good number of constraints. So um, the fact that we got a license for one product in one market is not necessarily true and the case for another market. It's always different use cases, and you've got to be able to deliver to the regulator exactly what you want to innovate around and what problems you want to solve in order to get the paper that you need from them. Again, finally, on regulators, I'll also say that I know within this room, good number of Africans here, it's quite clear that we think that the African regulator can be difficult to work with. But I'm glad to say that in the insurance um, you know, regulation standpoint, we've had a really enabling environment since 20, 2011 when I joined um, the business. We are allowed to, you know, test sandboxes and, you know, not, not just come out with products that we think best use the customer base, but then we are allowed to test and to learn and then to provide guidelines back to the regulators so that they can regulate the market in the way that they need to. Even in Nigeria, I do know that the Africa Beam Labs came up and it's really opened up to a lot of innovation within InsurTech in Nigeria. So, yeah. yeah. Thanks. Uh, and I think I want to pause on regulation then, get uh, Kwame and Aduma your perspective with that. So in your experience, what regulatory policies have been instrumental or detrimental to your ability to drive the sort of innovation solutions that you currently offer? Or even just more broadly, your experience with regulators? Yeah. Okay. Let me, let me take that, Francis. So I'm going to take it from two angles. Right, in terms of where it hasn't done so well and where it has created the enabling environment. I think if I look at it from a mobile network operator perspective, what we're finding is that regulation is not harmonized. It varies from market to market and it really makes things quite difficult. You know, um, luckily I don't see the regulator in this room, but um, if I think about MTN operating in this market, there's several challenges, you know, because MTN is so dominant. I feel as if there is a lot of undue scrutiny on MTN just due to its size. And also because of how much it really contributes towards the Guinean economy. So there really needs to be more harmonization. And if I think about technology and the evolution of mobile technology, I think a lot of regulators are still stuck in terms of where we evolve from, from voice to data. Whilst Mobile telephony has evolved to much more than that. And I feel the regulation has not caught up to that. Regulation also changes. Um, it changes on a whim. I mean, like I think in the, on the previous panel, they were talking about how when the new regime came into Nigeria, they changed the policy around um, the Naira, made it floating, and all of a sudden went from 400 to 800. And as a business, how do you operate when your costs have now doubled exactly. overnight? And so I think we need to work with regulators. And I think that if we look at Ghana, for example, we have a regulator who is keen to understand and adapt. So I think more collaboration is required so we can work with them and journey with them around what is coming down the line and how to prepare for it. I think for a lot of fintechs, most regulators don't really know how to deal with them. You know, they don't understand what they're trying to solve, what they're trying to do, the nimbleness of it. And so it makes it really, really hard. But that said as well, you have some regulators that are doing some incredible things. You think about crypto in South Africa. I mean, you live there right now. And South Africa is one of the few countries on the continent which has regulation that governs cryptocurrency and the use thereof, whilst a lot of other countries are a lot more skeptical about it. 
Um, we think about the ECD and the hackathon that was just unveiled yesterday, which is incredible in terms of the central bank realizing that their real legs to this ECD, how can we work with the ecosystem to be able to create more use cases for it? And that is, that is really encouraging. And the fact that there's actually a fintech and innovation office here in Ghana to drive focus around the fintech space is really, really encouraging. Right, so I think there's some good and some bad. I think the key thing is that we need to work with regulators. So big companies like ourselves, I'm sure the likes of Fidelity, we have folks that are focused around government engagement, government engagements and making sure that you engage regularly with the regulator. Yeah, thank you very much, Adoba. And to add on to that, right, innovation is well and good. However, it comes with risk. And um, in the financial services sector, it's all about trust. People trust you with their future, their future savings. People trust you with their livelihood, right? So it's very important that we maintain a safe and secure environment. And on that note, um, I will commend our regulator. I think um, they have done a lot to ensure that we have a safe environment to innovate. I mean, to point out, they set up the fintech and innovation department, which also set up the regulatory sandbox. So for any new innovation that does not exist, we can demonstrate it to the regulator in a safe and secure environment for us all to look at the risk or the inherent risk that this innovation brings to the environment. I think the regulator too, in terms of um, information security, the regulator came up with a cybersecurity directive to ensure that as financial institutions, we put in the necessary cybersecurity controls to prevent any untoward um, activities to our customers. Of course, I mean, there's always room for improvement. Um, we would love to work with the environment is rapidly changing. It's, it's so hard to even keep up as it is, right? And most times you realize that the regulator is playing catch up. We want to take 10 steps forward. The regulator says no hold on, let me catch you on step three or step four. So um, in a nutshell, we have to work together. We have to carry the regulator along in what we are doing. And we also expect the regulator to somehow try to catch up with our peace because the world is not waiting for us. Thank you. Thanks, thanks. Join us at Africa Tech Summit Nairobi in February where African Tech connects please visit africatechsummit.com forward slash Nairobi for more details and use discount code DEFI, that's D-E-F-I, and receive a discount off delegate passes. Okay, so I'd like to switch gears a little bit here. There are various drivers that determine the trajectory and success of digital financial services, as we all know. These typically tend to interact with each other and influence each other um, but we know that their collective strength and alignment is, is key. Um, what I'd like to touch on is three out of these. I mean, they're, they're quite a lot. One would be product development, two partnerships, and three regulation. Ideally, from a delivery to consumer perspective. And Mumbi, maybe I'll start with you. Um, my question to you is, one of the biggest challenges with inclusion has been the lack of digital literacy within the underserved. Do you think there's an end to sight here? Um, and what will it take to shift the needle? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a really good question. And um, let me preface this by giving an example of an impact report we just launched with uh, 60 decibels in Kenya earlier this year. So what I found to be very interesting is I think it was about 46% of the people who were surveyed saying that the first time they had accessed any type of form or formal financial product was through Tala. So that says a lot about um, the fact that we are moving from a place where I like to say the, the largest lender is your shopkeeper. And, and that's data across multiple uh, African uh, countries to a place where people are actually accessing uh, financial products from their phones whether this is an app or a USSD. So the thing that becomes important is to start to think about how financial literacy changes. So it's no longer your traditional, you know, this is how to save, this is how to invest, but it's actually how do you use digital tools to save, to invest, to borrow? What does responsible borrowing truly mean? And how I like to think about it is it's actually the responsibility of the different financial providers to be able to define what this new version of digital literacy will be and in essentially incorporate even into their products. So that's one of the things we, we've been learning through as Tala, where um, it's always interesting, like the middle button in our app is actually a land center, uh, which is very out there for, for a product. But essentially, we learned that we have to be very, very intentional about educating consumers on how to use our products. And I've seen a lot of this being true even with, uh, you know, a lot of the startups that are investing, are, are innovating around wealth tech, innovating around, you know, flow of money. So it just becomes a question of you have to educate people on how to use your product. And essentially that is what digital uh, literacy becomes. Uh, last thing I'll preface this with is, of course, there's always a question of, uh, who you're serving in the market? Are you a true mass market product or are you more upmarket? So that also defines what the digital literacy becomes. And for a true mass market product, you have to go on the ground. Um, it has to be non-sexy uh, for the fintechs where you have to take a track and talk to people on the ground, have agents on the ground who teach people about how to use your product. That's insightful. Leona, on regulation, I'd be keen to get your thoughts on, sorry, on partnerships. I'd be keen to get your thoughts on any lessons learned um, from unsuccessful partnerships or collaborations in the digital financial services space um, that could inform future strategies. Yeah, we'd, we'd just love to get your thoughts on that and uh, if there are any reasons for those failures and how they could be mitigated. Thanks a lot. So I'll first of all say key lessons learned from unsuccessful partnerships. Number one, I think is continuous use of manual approaches to onboard, to manage, you know, and to include customers in your product offerings. 12 years ago, when I first joined the business, I recall that we were, we were on a quest to do more in this country. And it took for us to speak to different partners just to understand what the business problem was and how we could use insurance, embedded digital insurance, you know, services to solve those problems. Um, out of these conversations, we discovered that just attaching and embedding our products into everyday used services, everyday used products, was probably the simplest, the easiest, and the best way to get people hooked to financial services that they didn't think were important because people wake up 
and don't plan to buy insurance. They wake up thinking about school fees. They wake up thinking about how they buy food and put that on the table for their family. And you're presenting insurance to them. They don't want to buy. You're presenting banking. I'm only coming to bank with you if I know that I can get a loan from your business. You know, so all of these problems needed to be solved. And the way that we went about this, I think, was one of the most unique and innovative approaches of getting people who never thought they needed insurance onto a service. And that was the birth of Tigo Family Care Insurance. It was essentially buy, recharge, use airtime, and you have insurance. Use this much, you have this much in insurance. And we got 1.2 million lives come on insurance for the first year that we tested this product. Having learned from the journey along on this product and, you know, the payments mechanism and everything, we replicated the model for Airtel. We got another one million lives come on insurance. And that, to us, was the narrative for including people at once in partnerships and including people on digital embedded financial services. I think that has been the bedrock of our business. Another universal bank that we worked with, they said their problem was that they wanted to acquire new um, salaried accounts. And so we thought about the way that things were happening. I mean, it was more the economic situation at the time in Ghana, 2014 thereabouts. And there was a lot of unemployment going around in the system. People were being retrenched here and there. And we saw that to give some unemployment insurance back to people who were saving or putting their salaries in that bank was probably the niche to be able to get that um, outcomes that we wanted. Once we did that, in the first six months of embedding insurance into that account, we saw a rise from 12,000 accounts to 20,000 accounts at once. Um, by the time we hit 12 months of running the service, the number had doubled to 40,000. Now, what that taught us was that manual approach is a no-no. You want to bring digital financial services to people in the very way that they're already utilizing everyday products. I'll give a clear example. If I want everybody in this room to come on insurance for the first time ever, there are probably people here who've never bought insurance, and I won't be surprised if we get 80% saying, yes, I've never bought insurance for myself. Everyone has at least a, Belacqua, a, bo a bottle of Belacqua on the table as is. I can design a product to the extent that so long as you buy a bottle of Belacqua from that retail shop, you have insurance on your life. It could be bite-sized insurance. It could be something very little that just goes to, to show them that you can use this. And then we use the opportunity to, to demonstrate claim payment back to them as the best way that they begin to love insurance. In that way, we begin to change the consumer's behavior. And then we get them to now say that I'm, I'm happy now to go beyond this bite size that you've given me. I want double insurance for this much. And I'm happy to pay that. So manual approach is a no-no, I think. Um, I'll go on to the second point I think is, 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 is recipe for failure is to use um, to not use digital approaches to manage the same customers. Somewhere in India a company called Squirrel is using augmented reality and artificial intelligence you know to bring customers along so they sit in the comfort of their homes they click it's just one click on a link or something, and then they get to learn about the digital financial service that the, the, the provider is providing to them. They get to learn about it. They get to hear about education in their own native language, and then they get to onboard themselves. Now, this customer will press, let's say, two in their native language. Press two, and then you get to understand how much 
you have on the on the platform. You press three to speak to a customer service, whatever that is, or press three to make a claim. And I think it's a very innovative way of bringing customers along. To not use digital platforms to also manage these customers is recipe for failure. I'll go on to the third, not having a mix of human and digital approaches to managing that customer can also be recipe for failure. I say this because I'd already alluded to the fact that 80% of our users are first timers on, on these services. They definitely want somebody to interact with. They want a warm body to speak to. A customer wants to be able to take the phone and shout when they want to shout. And they want to shout to a warm body and not a machine. And that's something that we all need to understand and learn in this room. So if that means that you put call center people, contact center people to take care of queries and, you know, just address the customer's issues. I think that's a tick for success. Finally, failure to have a simple user journey is recipe for failure. Why do I say that? We discovered that a lot of customers did not want to hear about digital financial services because they thought that the language that we used was too complex. They thought that the jargons that we had in insurance and in banking was simply not for them. They enter the banking halls and they feel like, well, this is not my place. This is left, this is, this is definitely a place where the people who are wearing suits and, you know, powerful, you know, tailored clothes should enter. And I'm not supposed to enter such a place. And so they are already intimidated by the buildings. They are already intimidated, intimidated by the ambience. They are intimidated by the language, the paperwork and all that they have to go through in order to get hooked to our services. And I think that that's something that we need to think about as we think about the future of financial services, simple language, simple customer journey. It should be pain-free. It should not have any, you know, hidden details, hidden fine lines in between the lines. In a situation where I'm giving insurance to such a customer, I'll ensure that my sale pitch is as simple as give me one CD for this much in insurance. And when this happens, come to me and I pay you a thousand Ghana CD or I pay you a hundred thousand Ghana CD. The journey should be as simple as that. Thank you. Thanks. Um, maybe just to touch on your last point on insurance. I know insurance typically, you know, there are a lot of clauses. How do you actually manage embedding that, actually letting the customer know that in simple terms? Like insurance is to some extent complex. Yeah, True. Yeah, like, yeah, so... I totally you, agree. Yeah. I think the way we've been able to navigate this was that in the past, we recognized that we needed to share the true clauses. We needed to let people be aware of the true clauses. However, the way we let that out was we'd rather have those clauses with the partner that we're partnering to give insurance to the sort of the customers that they had. So rather than give the customer those clauses and make it complex for them, we'd rather have those conversations with, let's say, the bank or the fintech or the aggregated platform that we're, we're working with. We'd give those clauses to them and share between ourselves. Let's let them understand this is how it needs to be. However, for the customer, between ourselves, we agree that we're not giving the same policy wording or contract or SLA to that customer. All the customer needs to see is that as I bank and as I, I, I take on a loan, I have this much in death insurance, I have this much in, say, permanent disability insurance, I have that much in, let's say, general, there's a disaster, there's a flood, there's a fire. When these things happen to my business, I have that much insurance. It's simple, it's clear, it's just about three lines, and we say, thumbprint rather than sign. So. 
I'm adding that to the customer journey that rather than have customers come into the banking hall to sign, it's easier for them to just put their hand on the ink and thumbprint. And they, they shy away from signature because they, they really don't connect with the signature. And they know that the next time that they come to the banking hall when they have to sign, their signature is probably not going to look like the first time that they ever sign. And that means that they're not going to get access to their their money. So, and then just to conclude, on the claim aspect, rather than tell a customer, find me a death certificate, which is probably very complex to get, we would put things out like, why don't you go to the pastor or the imam in the local community, if they can attest to the fact that this person in the community truly was part of the community, has died, if they're able to give us a letter to that extent and they give us a thumbprint, we're happy to take that and pay claims based on that. It is through that that we've been able to pay claims in a day, in 37 minutes of receiving you know, claim documentation. I think that if we begin to think about financial inclusion in that way, right. we actually will be able to bring the masses who are underbanked, unbanked, unserved into the digital financial space that we want to get them into. Super insightful. Thanks. Thank you. Um, Kwame, I think I like pushing regulatory questions to you. <laughs> um, so data protection um, of individuals, digital transactions, and financial stability is of utmost importance to regulators. We all know that. Um, this has required some regulators to be a bit more stringent in their approach to managing upcoming solutions. How can regulators strike a balance between fostering innovation and ensuring consumer protection and financial stability? We'd love your thoughts on that. Okay, thank you very much. As I indicated earlier, there are inherent risks in our business. Um, I, I can quote numerous headlines about data breaches, and the impact it has on people's lives, right? On the other extreme end, we also don't have to stifle innovation in the name of protecting people, right? So as a regulator, what we do is we have constant engagements with them from the bank's perspective, where we come together, examine what is happening, what are the risks that are coming up, and then we both propose mitigating controls, mm -hmm. Right. Again, in even the proposing mitigating controls, for example, what is the point of, say, a possible loss of 100,000, we agree on a control that will cost us 1 million cities. I might as well continue the business and set aside 100,000 cities to pay off the risk. So we try to find a fine balance between ensuring that our customers are protected and at the same time coming up with new and innovative solutions for this regulator. So as a bank, we have a compliance team. Their job is constantly engaging the regulator. We have what we call a financial crime unit, which is constantly looking at what sort of emerging risk or fraud cases are coming up. And then we engage both the regulator, both the security forces to now collaborate on how to quench some of these um, risks that come up and then propose a, a very safe and sound environment for all of us to be able to do business safely. Thanks, thanks. Uh, I think at this juncture, I want to open the floor up for any questions to the panel. So feel free. All right. Good day. Uh, my name is Solomon from Absa Bank. Uh, my question is to Leona. I like the zeal in terms of digitizing the insurance space, which is good. But how, how do you mitigate fraudulent claims, right? In your quest to digitize that space, you may open up to fraud as well. And I know the insurance sector, I mean, claims is one of your biggest area of risk. So how, how are you mitigating that? Thank you. 
Thank you very much for the question. Simple answer is AI. Artificial intelligence. It's, it's like a, it's magic in the works. So over years, over, I mean, in times past when we didn't have AI, we would have a couple of operations team members, team, you know, um, team employees sit and go through the claim documentation. And sometimes, I mean, when you, you've served a bank for, let's say, 10 years, um, the consumers do understand insurance and they know how to claim and they know how to get free money if they can. So, I mean, we did, we discovered this and there were times you'd find that on the claim documentation, it's definitely been gotten from some pasta imam, but something has been changed. Someone has used some correction fluid somewhere, you know, and it was quite easy to see some of these things. And so there would be a team on that. But with the ascent of AI, with the introduction of AI, it just, you just put the policies and documents through and it just picks out the outliers. And that's really how we've resolved um, that aspect of the business. Thank you. Hi, my name is Samuel Pierre. My question is to Aduma. You talked about that you want to um, take to Unicorn. Can you just espouse on those verticals so that I'm sure that people here in this room, everybody's looking out for opportunity and empty and being the, the, the one with the, the fattest wallet. Um, we'll be happy to hear more about the verticals. Thank you. Okay, great. So, um, as I indicated, MTN has this ambition 2025. So by 2025, the various things that we want to achieve. One of them is that the fintech business is being split out of the GSM business. And out of there, um, we realize that the wallets is at the core of the business. So the wallet is to a lot of people what a bank account is to others. At MTN, across the continent, there's 60 million mobile money users, right? And similar to all of you guys, they're looking for solutions around lending. So how am I able to access lending solutions? So that is one vertical. How am I able to get insurance, you know, um, you know to ensure my, my products, my solutions? And then the third one is around how do I receive remittances? So that's a third vertical. And then the fourth one is around payments in e-commerce. You know, so I want to be able to make payments and also want to be able to have my solutions be sold online. So how do I able to enable that? So the mobile money wallet is at the core of it. And then how do I upsell banking, uh, lending products, insurance, receive remittances, make payments, and then also get onto e-commerce? So uh, my question is to uh, Aduma. Okay. Have we thought of how we can make um, financial digitization of financial services cheaper, you know, to the larger population? Often it's, it's, it's costly, right? I direct this question to you because in the mobile money space, MTN is the biggest, right? And you have a situation where if you are, you know, sending money uh, to your own wallet or you are transferring money out to another wallet, you are charged. And if the recipient is, is taking the money out, they are charged. So often when you are sending money to someone, they will insist you include the charges, okay? Because they feel if you are paying them with physical cash, they'll get a full amount, okay? And also, if you look at embedding mobile money into merchants, okay, like the POSs and all that, the, uh, the store owner has the option to either absorb that cost 
all that cost can be passed on to the customer that is swapping their card or using their Momo pin to pay on the POS. What is MTN's plans on that? Are you looking at reducing cost involved in this service and to the other panels as well? What are your thoughts in making digitization of financial services cheaper, you know, and to include a lot more people to patronize? Because currently it is just among the elite, okay? And, and, and the larger populations still are not included. All right, thanks. Okay, I can start and I guess my fellow panelists can chip in. So look, you raise a very, very good point. Um, I was on a panel a week ago and the same thing came up, especially the 1% and folks are saying that, oh, add, add the, add the charge. I know that MTN is in the process of developing solutions to try and, and, and address that. I think it's going to be very targeted at very specific target segments. Um, to be able to address those nano charges as one refers to them. So look out for it. I can't really say too much right now, but it's not something that's going to cater for everybody. I think there's a real need in the agricultural space, um, especially around the agricultural value chain and then the farmers, etc. So that's a particular pain point. But I mean, in terms of how do we make financial, digital financial service, because that's really what it is, cheaper, I think it's a real ecosystem play, you know, um, there was a new tax that was introduced and that really led to a reduction in terms of mobile money usage and what it did was actually, it reversed things. So instead of people going digital, people were now taking out cash because cash wasn't taxed. I think that the ecosystem has to come together. You know, what we are trying to do from, from an MTN perspective, and we also realize that increasingly the, the margins are going to be squeezed. It's going to become more of a commoditized service where a lot of the services become free. But how do we create the value? If you look at Ghana, for example, MTN is largely focused around person to person, but it's around the advanced services that we need to be able to push, right? So how are you able to make bill payments? So you would have read in the papers probably about two weeks ago how MTN has partnered with Haptel and ECG to make it easier to make your electricity payments. It's also around um, the receiving of the remittances. And so with, with that, what we are trying to do from an MTN perspective is make sure that we partner with as many aggregators as possible. So as we know, most people are sending from the global north into the south. So people are in the States, in Canada, in the UK, Europe, that are sending money. So how do you work with a plethora of aggregators so that the unit costs of sending the funds is cheaper? So I think it's really around making sure that various players come together. It's around creating an enabling and um, a level playing field for people to operate in, right? And also realizing that the consumer's burdened. I mean, we all sit here, we have 40% inflation and you are now having to pay somebody and you have to add, you know, the 1% that they should absorb, they're asking you to put that on top as well. So it's, it's really around how do we work together to be able to assist to reduce the, the unit cost. One thing that we're trying to do from an MTN perspective with my last point is that 
we um, also realize that there are lots of players, fintechs in the room, that are looking to develop mobile-led solutions. And we are um, having a, a de developer platform that we're making available to developers for them to access, access the APIs and be able to consume solutions that can help them in terms of building mobile solutions. So what I'm saying that is that if more ecosystem players come together to assist, it will just help us all in terms of managing the unit costs unit cost of transactions. Thanks, Aduma. I think we are at time. Um, so, yeah, just want to give us a big round of applause to the panel. I think this has been an insightful session. Join us at Africa Tech Summit Nairobi in February, where African Tech connects. Please visit africatechsummit.com forward slash Nairobi for more details and use discount code DEFI, that's D-E-F-I, and receive a discount off delegate passes. To hear our latest episodes, please subscribe to our channel on your favorite podcast app. You can also visit africatechsummit.com for our upcoming events and news.